right. Good morning, everybody. Wherever you are, whenever you're catching us, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're with us, especially my folks here in-house. Oh, man, it's so encouraging. The sun came up today. Spring is coming. Even It's going to rain this afternoon. I love rain. Who else loves rain? I just love rain. You know what? I love sleeping, and I love napping in the rain. That's my favorite thing in the whole world. But anyway, uh, we've got that, and just things returning back to normal. It just feels great to be able to come here in person, especially, but wherever we are, to be able to worship our God, to be able to celebrate Jesus here. And I'm just I'm humbled, and I'm honored to get to bring a message to you today that I think is, to me, what we're going to talk about today just really solidifies how real the book of Job is. How, how a, a book, it's the oldest written, oldest recorded book in the Bible, the first one that was actually written down and recorded. So it's over 4,000 years old, and it is so relevant to what we're going through today. And I love how you can take encouragement and take direction, really, for, for our lives from something that was written so long ago. We tend to look at things, who, who else here is a child of the 80s? I look at things I did in the 80s, and I'm like, I wish that didn't happen, because nothing good, other than music, I don't know how many good things came out of the 80s, but 4,000 years ago, and there's stuff that's so relevant to today, and that's, that's why I just, I can't wait to bring this message. So again, welcome if you're here. We are in the book of Job. Our series is called Blameless, a study in the life of Job. It's called Blameless because that's who God said that Job was. said that he's blameless, not perfect, not sinless, but blameless, meaning he did all the right things. He did what he was supposed to do as he knew it at the time. Things have changed since then. But at the time, he did the best that he could to live a life according to what, to what God wanted from him. He was very much pressed into the Lord, very much in tune with hearing his voice. And what we see is this time where all of a sudden, the voice of God goes away. And in the midst of that, not being able to hear from God, now all of a sudden he's facing the worst trials in his entire life, trials far beyond what most of us could even imagine. And, and praise the Lord, we, we hopefully will never have to face trials like that. But Job faces them, and we can see such humanity in the way that he deals with these things. He's known as a, as a Bible hero, mostly for his patience. We've heard the patience of Job. We've heard all these things. And so he's known mostly as a hero for those aspects. But man, is he real. He's not like this superhero that comes out and just does everything right, and he's perfect, and, and that's why he's a hero. I think he's a hero because he wavers. Because he has these moments of weakness and doubt, and sometimes he steps over that line, and, but he always comes back to God. And that's what I think we can take away. So many of us, I hear the term, I've been backsliding. I haven't been into church. I've been backsliding. And there's so much condemnation that comes from those times that we spend away from God. And rather than to condemn ourselves, or worse yet, condemn someone else for those times where we maybe aren't as close to God as we should, as we should be, we should encourage them because the life and the peace of Jesus Christ comes from those times when we're pressed into the Lord and we're enjoying his presence and we're communicating with him. And anything that gets in the way of that 
is sin at its basis level, but it's distracting. If it distracts you from the life of Jesus Christ and what he wants for you, then we should want to set that aside, whatever it is, and get back to him. That's where we are here. So we've seen, again, kind of a quick recap. We've seen Job's friends come in, and they've beaten him up. If you've missed any of these previous messages, and I know we've got visitors here today, and if that's you, I apologize. I can't go back and touch all previous 27 chapters, um, but there's a lot there. So you can go back to our website if you want to check them out, watch the archives, especially the first few, because it kind of sets up what's going on here. But we're in a place here where Job's friends are arguing back and forth with him, and they're trying to get Job to admit to something that isn't there. That's at the basis of it. And the whole point, I think, of this book of Job is that really if we allow God to grow us, to refine us, and if we see everything that happens in our lives, the good, the bad, and the in-between, if we see that as an opportunity to grow and to be refined by God and to grow closer to him and remade in his image, if we do that, then God will elevate us to a higher place, a place of blessing, a place of, of faith and of, of just closeness and intimacy with him. So a lot of people will look at a book like Job and go, why? Why do we study that? And some of the obscure, we did, you know, we did the, the Minor Prophets series. Why do we study some of these obscure books? And I think it's just because of, of how I opened up when I said, through the study of Scripture, even, or maybe even especially, the hard parts, the difficult parts, I think we can be encouraged knowing that the Word of God, as contained right here in His written Word, gives us a solid basis for navigating this life, no matter what comes our way. And then we add into that the Holy Spirit, which believers in Christ have. We have everything that we need. Job had some excuse because he just, he didn't even have the written word yet. He just had what he thought he believed he knew about God, and he's doing the best he can. We have everything that we need to navigate this world and to do it in a way that glorifies God. In fact, I want to share the very first scripture. It's got nothing to do with Job. Romans 15.4, this is Paul writing, and he says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Does that not put an underline and an exclamation point on why we study scripture? And he's specifically talking about the scriptures that he knew at the time was all what we call the Old Testament. That's all he had. And he said, we study that so that we can have hope, so that we can be encouraged. And, and that's why we do it. So if you had any questions, there's your answer. Let's get, into, let's get into the message for this week. So last week, again, just a quick recap of last week. Job 26, 1 and 2, it just starts out this way. Job responded, what a help you are to the weak. Remember that? His friends have been trying to offer their version of advice to him, and it's really not helping him at all. So he goes, what a help you are to the weak. And he goes on, go, tell me, give me your wisdom. It's wonderful. But then he makes this shift kind of a dangerous shift in this, in this territory that he's treading. And he says, let me tell you how God works. Anytime we want to say, let me tell you how God works, we are on thin ice. 
and we need to be careful. Job is dancing this delicate line between being confident in what he knows about the Lord and pridefulness. We're going to talk about that quite a bit in this message. God's going to correct him in a few chapters to come. God's going to correct him for that. That's how we know. He got a little too close to the edge. Job 27.11 is where he says this. This is from last week again. I will instruct you in the power of God. What is with the Almighty, I will not conceal. So he's saying, have a seat. Let me tell you how God works. Now, we're going to do chapters 28 and 29 here today. 29, chapters 28 through 31 basically are what people call, sometimes they call it an interlude or a transitional period between the first half of the book, which is this back and forth between Job and his friends, and then the second half, which is really, really this, this in-depth um, back and forth between God and, spoiler alert, guy named Elihu who comes out of nowhere, and Job. Um, and it's really, it really wraps up this whole book in this just beautiful way. But these chapters here, they're not, they're not a throwaway. They're a transition from one to the other. But I think these chapters right here, in between this back and forth, and between then what God has to say are so real. I think it's so real. We see this back and forth. And some people actually contend, some Bible scholars contend that this chapter 8, 28, the first one we're going to go into, they say it doesn't belong there. They say either it was written by somebody else, maybe, uh, maybe one of the scribes who, who, who transposed all this or uh, transcribed all this at a later date, added this section in. Maybe it was editorial uh, content that was put in later on at some point. Maybe it was one of his friends. Maybe it was Zophar, because we didn't hear from Zophar a third time. And they say it doesn't make sense because it doesn't fit. doesn't fit with kind of the flow of things. And I think, I think really if we look at it, it really makes a lot of sense that it's here. And it feels so authentic if we look at it through the right lens. So, first of all, I have done my research on it, and I encourage you to do that. And I fully believe that it is Job himself writing this, but maybe not in real time. Okay, so we need to consider this. Imagine, imagine that you're writing your own autobiography. You're writing the story of your life at some later date. You wouldn't write it now. You'd probably keep a journal, and maybe you'd refer back to the journal. And I kind of think maybe, Scripture doesn't say this, but I picture this is what Job is doing. He's either journaling it, or he's just remembering these things that happened. And later in his life, after he's gone through this trial, he's reflecting back. And he's writing down the things that happened, and he's writing down the conversations. And if you were about to come to this section of your own story of your own life, and you go... What I'm about to say and do here is not so good. It's a mistake. It doesn't really reflect well on me, and it's certainly not where I am right now today. You might, I might, human nature, you might go back and say, okay, I'm going to, before I launch into this, and here's where I made all these mistakes, you might say, okay, I know better now, right? I know better now. You might write a chapter that says something like, I'm about to tell a story about some of the bonehead things I've done in my life, some of the bonehead things I've said, but rest assured, I know better now, right? Or like my kids say, I know now. In any case, 
I think what's written here in chapter 28 is just too deep a thought. It's too, it's too out of character for any of Job's friends. And it doesn't really matter as far as the flow of this, but I do believe that, that it is Job writing this. And again, we'll, we'll go into the whys here. But I think before Job in 29 launches into something that's not so flattering to him, in 28 he's kind of setting it up. Again, going back saying, here's what I really think, now here's what I said. Now here's what I would tell you. Remember Cliff's Notes from school? Anybody remember Cliff's Notes? Here's a Cliff's Notes version, my short synopsis of chapter 28. Men go to great lengths to possess things that they consider valuable. Why don't we pursue wisdom with the same intensity? Maybe it's because God's wisdom is beyond our grasp, beyond our comprehension. We can't buy it. We can't trade for it. We can't steal it. We can't discern it with logic. And then to borrow a phrase from John MacArthur, which says, what God, what God does not choose to reveal, we cannot know. That should actually give you some peace rather than confusion. That should give you some peace. If God doesn't think you need to know it, we can't know it. So there are so many things, so many blanks in my life, the big sections, like, I can't explain that. I don't know why that happened. I can't explain it. I don't know. People ask me things about Scripture all the time. Why did this happen and that happen? And I have to say, I don't know. I think that's honesty to know. If God didn't reveal it in his word or to us, we can't know it, no matter how much we try to figure it out. So let's get into the Scripture. Job 28, verses 1 through 4. This could be a combination of me reading to you and put them up on the screen. If you want to follow along, I use what's called the NASB, the New American Standard. That's the version I use. And there's some differences in translations, but it's all, it's all just translational. For the most part, where it's not, I'll point it out to you. Like in just a second, I'll do that. Job 28, verses 1 through 4. Certainly, there is a mine for silver and a place for refining gold. Iron is taken from the dust and copper is smelted from the rock. Man puts an end to darkness, and to the farthest limit he searches out the rock in gloom and deep shadow. He sinks a shaft away from, un from inhabited areas, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing away from people. All right, first of all, if you have a King James Version, I know that's one of the more popular versions. If you have a KJV, first of all, why? I'm not judging, I'm just asking Maybe my tone is a little judgment. It's hard to read, all the thous and thus. and It's just hard for me to read. But props to you if, if you can read that and, and it flows for you. But if you have a King James, the verse 4 right there, in my version it says, he sinks a shaft away from inhabited areas. Remember, he's talking about mining. Sinks a shaft away from inhabited areas, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing away from people. If you have a KJV, it reads like this. Now, remember, this is an old, old version, not even Hebrew as we know it, an ancient version of Hebrew, and it's hard to decipher. So they translated it, The flood breaketh out from the inhabitants, even the waters forgotten of the foot. They are dried up. They are gone away from men. If you'd read that, you'd go, all right, I'm just going to skip that because it makes my head hurt to think about what's going on there. So just a difference in translation. If you read something like that, whatever your translation, and it doesn't make sense to you, grab another translation. Grab an app or something and look at it a different way, and maybe that will make sense to you. Because some words, especially these old, old, ancient words, they get translated all kinds of different ways. 
anyway, continue going. Gold, silver, copper, they were historically, we know going back thousands and thousands of years, were some of the very first mined metals. We know that was something that was going on in Job's time. And in fact, specifically, the mention of iron here shows that they were a pretty advanced culture for their time. Because the iron, as we call the Iron Age, really didn't happen until about 500 BC. But we do find iron artifacts, even all the way back in like King Tut's tomb, things like that, we find iron artifacts. Now that was, King Tut's tomb was about 1500 BC. But we know going back even further, like to 3000 BC, Egypt was mining gold and doing all these sorts of things. So that was, that was well known. Mining was established and it was a part of it. And humans, humans, despite technology's limitations, can be very clever and very industrious when they're properly motivated. Let me show you this here. This, is, this was um, from 6th century Greece. It's just a, a, basically a pot shard. It's kind of a, of a painting, like on a canvas sort of. But it shows them kind of doing some primitive mining. Now, this is 600 B.C. when this was found, but it had been going on for thousands of years, thousands of years before that. This happens to be Greek. But the same process, and in fact, um, they would dig shafts clear down, and they would put, the, the Romans were ingenious. They figured out these water wheels to help pump water up out of the, out of the mines. They're very, very ingenious, but incredibly dangerous. Now, fact being that these were probably slaves that were doing this, and they would send them down, and they would, call, they would make them dig, and if they lost some, they lost some. That's kind of how the culture was at the time. You can, you can take that down from there. Um, an old, an ancient, an old, he's really old now, ancient historian, his, his name is Pliny the Elder, if you've ever heard about this in history classes. This is about from first century AD. He made this quote about gold mining specifically. He said, it's thought to be the hardest thing that exists except greed for gold, which is the most stubborn of all things. Moving on, 28, Job 28, verse 5. From the earth comes food, and underneath it is turned over like fire. Let me explain that to you really quick. Not a lot of theological depth here, but just something to understand. He's talking about farming the surface, farming, tranquility, birds and bees buzzing, and it's all nice and tranquil. The earth gives us that, but underneath is a much more dangerous place. In fact, where he talks about turning over like fire... Later on in Scripture, I'll, I'll read it, but it, they talk about mining flint. Flint is one of those things that they mine. Now, those of you who know what flint is for, it's for starting fires. If you, if you spark it with another rock, you'll get sparks. And one of the things that constantly happened is that in their digging with tools, whatever tools, implements they had, if, especially if they were going for flint, they would strike a piece of flint with a rock, get a spark. What happens in mines? They produce gases, and you would get fires. You would get these fires where hundreds of, of laborers would get burnt up, would be killed because one of them struck some flint, and it would just start a spark. Um, in fact, Pliny, the same guy, Pliny the Elder, says, whole masses of flint are burst asunder by fire and vinegar, which produces suffocating heat and smoke. Something that was still going on in, in his time in the first century A.D., it was a real, real issue that was going on there. So basically, again, Job is just talking about how men are willing to go through 
any extreme, put themselves in any risk in the pursuit of something that they consider valuable, or to be specific, put others in extreme risk for their pursuit of something valuable. Job 20, 28 verses 6 through 8 says, its rocks are the source of sapphires, and its dust contains gold. No bird of prey knows the path, nor has the falcon's eye caught sight of it. The proud animals have not trodden it, nor has the lion passed over it. He's talking about the lion, the proud animals, the falcon, the bird of prey, all these things which are kind of revered for their, for, sort of for their power, for their, for their eyesight or their power. And he's saying even the most powerful animals that we all kind of revere can't see and do the things that humans can do. Just pumping up the, the human ingenuity of this. Job 28, 9 through 11. He puts his hand on the flint. There's that, that flint mining. He overturns the mountains at the base. They just tear up the earth. He carves out channels through the rocks, and his eye sees anything precious. He dams up the streams from flowing and brings to light what is hidden. Again, it's just... All these things men can do when they put their mind to it. And he's about to say, but their efforts are really just for earthly gain. There's something much, much more valuable. Quick three scriptures from Proverbs. Proverbs 8.11, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. Proverbs 16.16, 16, how much better is it to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding is to be chosen above silver. Proverbs 3, 13 through 15. Blessed is a person who finds wisdom and one who obtains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver and her produce better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. Now that's Proverbs. Proverbs wasn't written by Solomon until a thousand years at least after Job. Job said it first. He's about to say that right here. Job 28, verses 12 and 13. Again, this transition from, look how, he, how human ingenuity can do all these things in the pursuit of what they find important. Job 28, 12 and 13. But where can wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? Mankind does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. And he knows that firsthand because all the earthly wisdom that his buddies have been dispensing to him over the past several chapters for us, but a long time for Job, had completely failed him. All the sum of their wisdom, their earthly wisdom, had failed him completely. Job 28, 15 through 17, pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir. Remember, that was that region that was very well known for, for mining. In precious onyx or sapphire, gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can he be exchanged for articles of pure gold. And again, he keeps going on. He goes back to the same thought, Job 28.20. Then, where then does wisdom come from? And where is this place of understanding? He's saying, hey, if we, we can search out gold and jewels and all these great things in our technological advancement of his day, can do all these things, but where is wisdom? Now, the best answer that Job can give is right here, Job 28, 23. God understands its way, and he knows its place. 28, 28, and to mankind he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. There's wisdom, and there's understanding. What is it? It's the fear 
of the Lord. Now that word, the fear of the Lord, that phrase can be so misunderstood by so many people. Why should I worship a God that I'm told to fear? That word, it's a translation issue, okay? At its heart, what it means, in fact, it's a Hebrew word, and it's pronounced yirah, Hebrew word, and it means extreme reverence. Reverence in the extreme, okay? They're talking about fear because that's what they knew at the time. If I don't do this right, I'm gonna get hit by lightning. If I don't do this right, I'm gonna get leprosy or all the number of things that happened to Job. That would create some fear. But that's not the point of it. It's extreme reverence to the Lord. And to be close to the Lord is to turn away from evil. That's what he's talking about. The be-all and end-all of wisdom is to revere God. To revere God first. To press into him. To listen to him. And to turn away from sin. That's what wisdom is. So now... There's that, there's that wonderful disclaimer kind of narrative that I think Job, I, I picture and I, I believe Job added that later on after he saw how things unfolded when he went back. With that out of the way, now we go back to seeing the kind of things that Job is thinking and saying at the time. So we go into chapter 29 right here. Call, that, call chapter 28 a disclaimer, if you will, saying that's not who I am now. Job 29, 1 through 3 Job again took up his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in months gone by, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone over my head, and by his light I walked through darkness. He's reminiscing about, I want a return to those days when when God was with me. He's longing for these days when he literally felt God's presence every single day. That's how he lived his life. So, so far, so good, right? That's, that's not bad. Job 29, 4 through 6. Just as I was in the days of my youth, when the protection of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was still with me, and my children were around me, when my steps were bathed in cream. How's that for a word of, of opulence and an easy life? When my steps were bathed in cream, and the rocks poured out streams of oil for me. He's... He's basically escaping his current situation by, you can just picture, he's just daydreaming about, remember when things were awesome in my life? Remember how easy I had it and how, how blessed I was before God? He's just letting his mind drift to these places. And that's okay to reminisce and to think about those things, but we can see it's about to get the better of him. He's about to go a little bit too far, and he starts telling these tales of his great exploits. Not only was I blessed, not only did I live a comfort life and I had it all, but I was the man. Okay, this is where he shifts, and you can hear this. I'm going to read this next section to you. Job 27, 7 through 11. When I went out to the gate of the city, when I took my seat in the public square, the young men saw me and hid themselves. The old men, the old men arose and stood. The leaders stopped talking and put their hands on their mouths. The voices of the prominent people were hushed and their tongues stuck to their palate. For when an ear heard, it called me blessed. And when an eye saw, it testified in support of me. What's missing in all that, that little speech that he give, gave? What's missing in that? Anybody notice it? He's not giving thanks to God. He's not giving thanks to, to where all those things came from. Now, 
Let's watch again. This speech continues to like tumble downhill from here. Job 29, 12 to 17. I'll read it out for you again. Because I saved the poor who cried for help and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the one who was about to perish came upon me, and I made the widow's heart sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a headband. I was eyes to those who were blind and feet to those who could not walk. I was father to the poor, and I investigated the case. you sensing a pattern here? And I investigated the case which I did not know. I broke the jaws of the wicked and rescued the prey from his teeth. Anyone count how many times Job said, I, I did, I did, I did? Here's one more, Job 29, 18. Then I thought, I will die with my family, and I will multiply my days as the sand. Wow. He's gone completely off the rails now, and he continues to just, revel in these tales of his greatness. Job 29, 20. My glory is ever new with me, and my, and my bow is renewed in my hand. He's saying basically this. Not only was I generous, righteous, and a savior to the weak, I was also the dispenser of wisdom. He's really full of himself here, right? I want to show you this picture. Now, put this picture up on here. This, this is how I picture this scene going down. This is Job just spending was Now, in fact, those of you who might be history or art buffs know, that's actually Socrates. That's Socrates, and, and he's in the process of taking poison to be killed for his crimes, and his crimes was, one of his crimes was to speak out in Greek culture about polytheism. So he was speaking truth, but he was doing it in a way that, got him in a lot of trouble. But I'm going to leave that up while I read you what Job says. And I just want you to make this mental leap. Like this is kind of, everybody's gathered around Job watching him, watching him dispense his wisdom because Socrates didn't quit right up until the last second. So here, here's what Job says. Job 29 verse 20. Actually, it's, uh, I'm sorry, it's 21 through 25. 20, Job 29, 21 through 25. To me, they listened and waited, and they kept silent for my advice. After my words, they did not speak again, and my speech dropped on them. They waited for me as for the rain, and opened their mouths as for the late rain. I smiled at them when they did not believe, and they did not look at my kindness ungraciously. I chose a way for them and sat as chief, and lived as king among the troops, as one who comforts the mourners." Hey, you can go ahead and take that down now. I just picture that's how everybody's like, tell us, oh, Job, you're amazing. At least in Job's mind, that's how it went down. Now, there are those who say that Job is this cautionary tale about the pitfalls of pride. And there's certainly that element to it, without a doubt. And that's kind of what, based on what we're reading now, they have a point when they say that. I don't think that's the primary focus of the book, but it's definitely a point. We're about a couple chapters away from watching Job receive this verbal beatdown for what he says here. Look forward to that next week. Job had lived, Job had lived his life under God's blessing. The problem is he forgot to lose sight, or he forgot to, he forgot and began to lose sight of the source 
of that blessing. He started to think that it had something to do with him and how good he was and how smart he was and all of his resources and his great business decisions and all these things that he had done. Everything that he enjoyed, his wealth, his comfort, his family, his status, his wisdom, he's claiming here, look at all these things I did. And in the midst of all this, he's starting to lose sight. He's doing the right things, but he fell into that temptation that we all do, and we start thinking we have something to do with it. It's a very, very human thing. Probably, I want to remind you, and I read it earlier, but I want to highlight it again. Probably the most damning thing that Job says in this whole in this whole section right here, Job 29, 14, he says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a headband. He thinks that it's, it's all him and he's lost sight. Now you see why he did that disclaimer at the beginning saying, now I, this is not where I am today, but it's where I was then. Because as soon as Job starts to take credit, and we see this in our lives. As soon as we start taking credit for what we have, whether it's our family or our health or our anything that we consider a blessing in our lives, as soon as we start taking credit for that, God will remind us of the source. And sometimes those reminders are as harsh as they need to be to get our attention couple things that Paul said, the Apostle Paul, again, 2,000 plus years after Job wrote all this, Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 1.19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the understanding of those who have understanding, I will confound. Now that's quoted directly from Isaiah 29, Isaiah 29.14. God is saying this. This is what God is saying. For it is written, I will do that. And it's not as punishment. This is the thing. We need to see that, that confounding of their wisdom, confounding of their understanding. It's not meant as punishment. It's meant as a refinement. It's meant as part of the refining process. And if we can grasp nothing, we need to see that it's something to be thankful for in our lives. That refining process that God continues in our lives. Sometimes refining is not fun. Sometimes it is. We're learning new things. We're growing. Sometimes we're being corrected. And things are being stripped away from us as part of that refining process. And either way, however it looks, if we see that as a part of what God is doing in our lives, we should be thankful for it. It doesn't mean it's going to be fun and easy. We should be thankful and here's what I think the point of this, of this whole chapter is. Pride is a dangerous spirit. Pride is a dangerous spirit. And it's dangerous because it is so hard to differentiate between pride and thankfulness and humility. Pride and humility are two sides of the same coin, and it's so difficult if we say, look at all the things I have in my life, look at the wonderful blessings, look at the, the church that I pastor, look at what I've built here, look at all these things. Now, God did that, but it's pride if I claim any part of it. If I say, look what God has blessed us with, and he used me, and he used others, and he used you to build this thing that we have. That's humility, and that's thankfulness, but it's such a fine line. And we see right here where Job had stepped over that line. So I want to, I want to conclude this message 
rather than tell you a whole bunch of ways that it applies to our lives, I think, I think Paul again said it. This is 1 Corinthians. I want to read a couple scriptures from 1 Corinthians, and then we'll pray and we'll wrap up. But I want you to pray about how this applies to your life. Are there places in your life where this can be applied right now? First one, I'll read it to you, and then I'll show you the ending of it. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. Again, this is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the church in Corinth. And he says this, For consider your calling, brothers and sisters, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the insignificant things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no human may boast before God. But it's due to him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And the last verse, verse 31 there, so that just as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's what I want to take away. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the things that we have, the things that we consider blessings, the things that we consider necessities in our life, the air in our lungs, the blood in our veins. God, let us never boast that it's anything that we have done. Even those things that we look that we have done with our hands, Lord, you made those hands. The things that we have discerned and thought our way through and figured out, God, you gave us that wisdom. You are the source of that wisdom. And so, Lord, in our own, we can do nothing. And so, Father, just for me, I repent of any of those times where I have been prideful and I have boasted in something that I have done. God, it's all you. It's all you. Let me keep my focus on you and praise you and glorify you for the things that you have done in my life, the things you have done in those around me, and for your greatness and your glory. Father, I praise you this day and every day. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Hey, let's, let's take communion together. If you're here in-house and you didn't grab them on the way in, we have communion cups on the table in the back. If you're out there online anywhere, grab whatever you've got handy. Let's take communion together. Let's celebrate through Christ Jesus, as that scripture said. But it is due to him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. If that's not enough to thank Christ for, I don't know what else we need. We take the body. And we thank him for giving it all on the cross for our sanctification. We take the blood of Christ so that we can be clean before God. We can stand before the creator of heavens and earth, the dispenser of wisdom. And we can stand before him righteous because of what Christ did. Let us not ever claim anything in our own righteousness and our own strength. Amen, church? Thank you, guys.